Uh, thank you so much, Ashy. Wow, what an incredible season we're in, everybody. We had the most amazing time in Toronto at the 25th anniversary. It was just epic. I hope, you, I hope you've watched, uh, those of you who didn't come, I hope you've watched it on YouTube. It was absolutely amazing. Ah, yes, the worship particularly was incredible. So good to have you with us, Chris and Summer. I just want to add to that from Kate and I, welcome, welcome, you guys. It's a privilege of a lifetime that you've joined us. It's amazing. And you're leading Catch the Fire music so well, you know, and we're just so excited about the album. If you haven't bought the album, Presents, whatever you do, get on uh, iTunes or wherever, Spotify or wherever, and make sure that you... Uh, acquire that because it's epic, epic, epic. Oh, it's just so good. Ah, yeah, so, uh, and uh, we, straight after the 25th, uh, the, the global leaders, five couples, we went off and, uh, including Murray Nash, Kate, myself, Stephen, Sandra Long, um, Ben and Sarah Jackson, uh, and Stu and Chloe Glasborough from London all went on a, a retreat. And uh, at the end of the retreat, which was amazing, we were in Miami waiting for our plane, and we decided to tune in last Sunday and watch online. So welcome all of you that are watching online. It's so great that you're joining us. And we got to join last week, all of you, and what an incredible job Michael Finnan did on this platform. Michael, you preached out of the park. They're still looking for the ball. You've done, you did so good, and uh, you, you've become one of Kate and I's favorite preachers, and we're super excited about what God's going to do through you and Ashling. It's really amazing. You're a champion son in this house and in your heavenly daddy's house, and you're already becoming an amazing spiritual father and mother, and that's what counts. It's one thing to be a son and a daughter, but it's a whole other thing when you transition to being a son and daughter who becomes a mom and dad. Amen? So good. Speaking of mums and dads, we have one of the most amazing mums in the kingdom. Her name's Amy Lancaster. She's the leader, together with her husband, David, the founders of We Will Go Ministries in Jacksonville, Mississippi. She is one of our daughters, uh, Jess, our eldest daughter, and our youngest daughter, Nathania, who's sitting right next to uh, Miss Amy, were, uh, were privileged to go on the Harvest School in Pemba, Mozambique, with Iris Ministries. And both of them told me that, Amy, you were their favorite speakers apart from their dad. <laughs> Amy is, is, has been here this past week um, uh, doing a training course with her husband um, on how to use this new machinery that, that, they've, that they've bought to be more effective. Uh, and I'm not going to, I'll get all tongue-tied if I try to explain what that all was, but they came as a team of five of them, and they've had an amazing week, just happened that the place that they're being trained for this new machine was right here in the Triangle region. So Kate and I, when we heard, we were, right, we're having dinner, so they very kindly had dinner with Kate and I on Friday night, and we just had the greatest time with David and Amy and, uh, and their team. And so we're going to have Amy back for sure to come and speak. Um, it hasn't worked out for this weekend, but we're going to for sure have her to come back. But guys, I can't let this moment go by without inviting her onto the platform so that you can meet her and those of you watching online. And uh, so come on up, Amy. She just wanted to come and be part of the service. So folks, let's stand and give her a big welcome. She's one of Heidi and Roland's favorite friends. We're just so glad that you're here. 
Thank you for showing us all how to love well. You guys have been amazing. Thank you. Um, well, I, it's okay if your dad is your favorite. Um, I'm never my children's favorite, so Seriously? ever, no. Yeah, that's because you're not their dad. I'm definitely not their dad. Um, but Jonathan did this. I've been teaching at um, Harvest School since HS 10 or 12. Jonathan did 12. I think we're on, how long have I been married? I think we're on 30. Yeah. I think 32 by now. Anyway, we're on a lot of them. And Jonathan says to me, Mom, um, I'm really sorry you weren't my favorite. I said, that's okay. Who is your favorite? And he said, your friend, Mr. David Hogan. I said, that's okay. If David Hogan's your favorite, that's all right. So um, anyway, we will come back when we can get to spend some um, quality time with you guys. We just um, and pray for you guys. We have a lot of the same friends and, of course, family around the world and um, serve the same God and prayerfully I'm meeting with a few of you guys after at lunch. Um, prayerfully, some of you will come to Jackson, Mississippi. A lot of people don't realize that America is America is in is in the heart of the Lord, and um, people don't realize that we have 300 million souls in this nation, and uh, most of them do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Most of them don't know him. And so the privilege of reaching this nation with the love of Christ is just, it's just an honor. And so where we live in Jackson is a place that many people would say um, is not possible. It's extravagantly violent. It's extravagantly poor. It's extravagantly abandoned and unbelievably racist and difficult. And Jesus loves it a whole lot. And so he asked us, we asked him, what would you like for us to do? And so I love it when we worship and we raise our hands and we get all excited and we do all these great things and we do all these mission schools and these conferences and they're wonderful. And then I wonder how many actually do what God tells them to do on the floor. And so we said we'd be honored to do whatever you'd like. The Lord still lets us go to the nations because he's kind. He doesn't have to do that, but he still lets us go to the nations. And he asked us to live in a very impossible place. Very impossible place. And we've been living there now for 14 years, and we raised our children in it. They all are saved and love the Lord, and we have beautiful missionaries that come and serve and live. And we just um, we get to love our neighbors every day, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, that's how I see it. If Jesus said the most important thing is that you would love the Lord, your God, yeah. with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you would love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, then who's your neighbor? And we have a lot of people say to us, well, I'm so glad God didn't ask me to do something like that. Live where there's guns and gangs and violence and addicts and prostitutes. I had a lady that I spoke at a church the other day, and she said, I just feel so sorry for you, you guys. I just, I just worry about you, and I feel so bad for you. It's just so difficult and poor and hard and... I said, 
you must not know Jesus. Because <laughs> if you knew him, you would know how much fun it is. If you knew him, you would know how much fun it is to carry the love of Jesus into a horrible place. So that's what we get to do, and um, it's a lot of fun, and um, I consider it a lot of fun. Um, it might be hard for some people to understand when they look at it from the outside, but Jesus loves it a lot. So we'll come back and get to spend a few days with you guys. And um, yeah, is it? A, I'm just going to pray for y'all real quick. I know my friend's about to preach, but I'd like to just pray for y'all for just a second. Stand up, y'all. And for your um, for your city, we've been in yes. Volley Durham for a few days, and I like being in a place praying over it. So. I've just been doing that. Mm. So, God, I just pray for this land, God. For this land that matters to you so much. It matters to you. All the precious souls here, mm. God. Mm. From the richest to the poorest, Lord, every, every soul is so precious to you. And I pray for this family here, God, that you would show them what that looks like for them. I pray, God, that even as Duncan preaches today, Lord, that you would show every single solitary one of us. What does that look like for me today? Not one day when I'm old, not when I have enough money, not when the kids are grown, not when it makes sense, not when it's safe, right. whatever that means. It's so stupid, God. What does it look like today? If we say yes in worship, then we have to say yes when we drive the car, God, and when we stop at Walmart and when we go to CVS, we have to say yes if we can't be a partial thing. And so I just pray for this land. For this state, for Raleigh Durham, for every school, God, every single solitary neighbor matters, Jesus. Every single neighbor matters to you. And it's not overwhelming. I pray all the time and I say, Jesus, it's too much. And every time, God, you always say, it's not too much for me. Yeah. It's not too much for me. Amy, why do you say that to me? Because it's not too much for me. And so I just pray that, Lord, to Jesus. This is so important, God. You came to seek and to save the lost. You came to seek and to save the lost. Oh, Father, help us not to forget. So I just pray for this Precious family, this beautiful, beautiful people. They're beautiful leaders, God. Jesus, mm. that we would honor your great name well. Yes, Lord. That you would be high and lifted up. And yes. you promised if we would lift you up high, that you would draw all to you. Not to me, not to us, not to a ministry or a church, but you would draw people to you. And when they come to you, you'll change them. Yeah. And you'll save them. Yeah. And I pray for my sweet friend Duncan and his precious wife and his family, God. Give them the wisdom that you promised. If we need it, we can ask you and you don't mind us asking. It never makes you angry for us to ask you for wisdom. You love for us to ask. And so I just pray your wisdom on this team, God. Your wisdom and your discernment. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ah! <laughs> oh, Amy, love you so much. Thank you so very much. You are amazing. Oh, oh. Ay, 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 ay. Thank you, Lord. I want to preach this morning about a family just like the families that are here in the United States that Amy was just praying for, a family like ours, a family maybe like yours. And I want to I talk about a moment that changed a young man forever. His name was David, and he was a shepherd boy who didn't know that he was destined to be a king. But he so, he so loved God and so understood God's love for him in the midst of his pain and dysfunction that he qualified himself to arrest the gaze of God, to turn him from being a nothing and a nobody in the eyes of all of his family into being the king of all of Israel who would walk in the covenant love of God. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Reading from verse 1. The context is that Saul, the first king uh, that Israel demanded of God and asked for, and God gave them what they asked for, and through the prophet Samuel, uh, Saul was anointed and he ruled and reigned for 40 years in Israel. But he was not a man after God's heart, sadly. He was a man who was after the affections of men and women. He was afflicted with the same kind of issues that we all have, where we want people to like us in case we get rejected. But David was a man of a different spirit. He was a man after God's heart, not after the heart of all of those around him. And so we pick up on 1 Samuel 15, 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know that you and I, we've been called and anointed to be kings, the little kings in the king of kings title of Jesus. He's the king with the big K. You and I are the little kings. But I don't know about you, but the last thing I would ever want would be that God would regret that he ever made me a king in his son Jesus. And my prayer for all of us in Catch the Fire, whether it's here in Raleigh, Durham, or whether it's Catch the Fire in any of our 32 churches around the world now, or any of the future hundreds of churches that God's going to plant, my prayer, my longing is that each one of us would rule well with Jesus that we would be kings like David who are after God's heart. Now the Lord said to Samuel, verse 1 of 16, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided myself a king among his sons. I want you to notice that God asked Samuel to take a horn of oil. He had asked Samuel 
30-something years earlier to take a flask of oil when he anointed Saul. But this time, he said, I, for this man, a man after my own heart, there's nothing less than an animal, than a sacrificed animal's horn for you to fill with the fresh oil that I want you to pour over my son's head. I want you to understand that in Christ Jesus, our kingship, okay, has come at a very high price. It's come as a a price of the greatest overpayment the universe has ever witnessed, in which the Lamb of God has given his life down so that you could be anointed from the horn of his life with fresh oil, the Holy Spirit. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse. And you can imagine Samuel saying, who? Jesse. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one that I named to you. I want you to notice that God wanted to anoint David as king for himself, for God's self. God anointed David for himself. God has anointed you for himself. He hasn't just anointed you to rule and to reign in this world for others or for the world or for yourself. The world's important. The transformation of the world is important. And we're called to transform this world. We're called to rule and reign and pick up the scepter and rule and reign with Christ from his throne in the heavenlies where we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. But even though the mission is great, the number one purpose in God, in his love for us, is that we would love him first. And out of the overflow, just like uh, Miss Amy was saying, out of the overflow of our love for him, we, and his, most of all, his love for us, as Ash was saying, his first love for us, our love for him, the using the anointing to love God with the love that he's worthy of. Now we realize that we can love ourselves and then the absolute overflow of that love, the genuine authenticating factor that says to everyone around you that you've really had an encounter with God and that you know his love is that you love others well. How do we know that you love God? 1 John 4 verse 18 says, because you love well, you love others well. In fact, if you say that you love God, but you, you, you don't love your brother that you spend your life with. You don't love your neighbor. You don't love your friend at work. You don't love your boss. You don't love your, your, um, the people that work for you. If you don't love well, you cannot say that you love God. You literally are a liar according to scriptures. And I don't know about you, but I want to love well and not be a deceiver. Amen. And so how do we know that our worship on Sunday mornings, when we come together and we hold our hands in the air, and we're totally lost and we're like, God, I love you with every fiber of my being. How do we know? How does he know? How do you know? How does the world know that's true? When you love those around you with every fiber of your being with that same love. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, I come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. You can tell just from those verses, this is not normal. 
They're not used to this great prophet arriving in their town. They're literally terrified. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The name Eliab means God is my father. Can you imagine how much Jesse loved God? How much Jesse loved the God, the covenantal God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of his fathers, Boaz, and, and all of those amazing fathers. He loved God so much. And yet, and, and he loves God so much, he called his eldest son, God is my father. Wow. The fast, my parents called me Duncan. You can't even find it in the Bible. I mean, I'm like, mom and dad, seriously? I know they're watching. Mom and dad. Seriously, you had the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Find a name. I mean, go to Chronicles, Numbers, you name it. There are names in there. You can't find Duncan. It's okay, though. Turns out it means brown warrior. That's great, isn't it? I thank God for that. But you know what? I don't even know. I'm thinking, Mom and Dad, what revelation did you have? God was sending me to America, where everything says America runs on Duncan. Do you know what that's done for me? I'm just kidding. Actually, it's a shout out to all of you who have a name that you're like, why in the world did they name me that? Nobody can even pronounce my name right. By the way, you'll always be my friend if you come up to me and you say Duncan. Notice, not Duncan. You say Duncan, I'm like, that's a donut. You say Duncan, I'm like, you're my friend. Anyway, joking apart. There are many of us who know and understand what it is. Eliab got to be called God's my father. Wow. Whew. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I've refused him, I've rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab. Abinadab means my father is generous. Come on, guys. My father's generous. Whew, what an awesome name. I got called uh, Duncan, as I said. Murray got called Murray. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times here in America they're like, what did you say your name was, Mary? No, he has to say no, Bill Murray. Remember? Oh, Murray. Okay, Murray. Great. And the... The Lord said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Verse 9, then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Shammah means wasted, devastation, everybody. Why in the world would Jesse and Shammah's mom give him such a terrible name? Because they were a family just like our families. Not everything goes well, always. And something had happened to this joyful family, this family that understood they were the covenant, loved by the covenantal God of love, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Ruth and Boaz, their ancestors. And they were so joyful. God's my father. My dad's generous. Devastation. Hi, what's your name? I'm Devastation. Nice to meet you too. You don't make a lot of friends when your name's devastation. Something happened that was, I, Scripture doesn't tell us. 
Whether it was famine, I think it was probably famine. I don't know. But something happened between son number two and son number three that changed the entire in internal culture of this family. So much so that none of the other guys are even named. They're not even named. Look at this. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons. Four more of them passed by before Samuel. Scripture doesn't even tell us their name. Talk about devastation. And you know, I feel like that's so true of many of us in our own families. We're like, why in the world did my parents call me what they called me? Why couldn't I have been like my older brother? Why couldn't I have been like my older sister? Why aren't I like the youngest? The youngest is so loved. It's obvious who's the favorite. Why am I not loved like them? Seven sons passes by. The Lord hasn't chosen any of them. And Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? And you can imagine Jesse's like, um, that's a good point. Um, okay, let me see. Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah, Hujimaflit, Biljani, Jonathan. Yeah, let me just do that again. Honey. Yes, sweetie. Are all the boys here? David, don't forget that. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my gosh, I always forget that kid. There's the youngest, David. Commentators, some commentators think that David was possibly not even of the same mother as the other sons. Scripture doesn't tell us. But it could well have been. Some commentators, they believe that David was maybe even conceived out of wedlock. Whatever we know is that David was the youngest, okay, and the Lord called him David, beloved of God. In fact, God loved David so much, so much, that when his son came into the world, he wanted his son to be known as son of David. Come on! I mean, he could have called him son of Duncan, but he didn't. He called him son of David. Mm. Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. I mean, there he is. I hadn't thought of this when I was preparing, but maybe they were outside in the open doors. It's nice weather in the Middle East, and maybe he's out there. And, uh, and he says, there he is, look at him, way up on the hills, tending the sheep. And uh, he says, Samuel says to Jesse, send and bring him in, for we will not sit down until he comes. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he was suntanned with bright, beautiful eyes, and handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Evidently, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart, but it's super helpful if you're both. As you can see. 
laugh. I'm handsome. I've got my heavenly daddy's good looks. So do you. You're made in his image. Don't ever think you're not beautiful. You're beautiful. You're made in the image of God. And so is every person that you ever meet made in God's image. Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day. Or in one translation, translating the Hebrew more accurately, says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. In the ESV, the English Standard Version. And from that day forward, so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Folks, I just want to just open this up to you for just a moment, okay? Because I believe that David could have missed the opportunity of a lifetime just like that. Because you see, David was clearly rejected by his own family. He was so rejected and so abandoned by his family that when the biggest rock star in prophecy the equivalent of a Sean Boltz, came to his dad's house. His dad didn't even remember that he had another son. Or at least his dad didn't think it was important enough to lay aside the sheep, unlike all the other seven sons, I might add, and bring him in. And you know, so often when we, all of us in this room, experience the rejection and the abandonment of others. And by the way, that makes us all in the same boat. We all in our families, we all in our workplaces, in and out of all of the social spheres that we run in, we deal with rejection, we deal with uh, abandonment, we deal with not belonging, we deal with shame, fear, control, you name it. We all have that in common, everybody. I have it. I've had it in spade loads my whole life. You see, my parents loved God so much. They went to Africa to be missionaries for 20 years. They left in 1967, January 67, in a ship. It took them three weeks to get to Nigeria, West Africa, the nation had only just come out of all kinds of, um, like there were some parts of the nation where there was cannibalism even up into the 1950s. And this was, early, this was late 1960s. And because there was no, uh, at that time, they didn't know anything about homeschooling and, you know, they, but they felt that they owed it to us to have the best education, but it came at a price. It came at the price of myself and my brothers being sent to boarding school. For me, aged five and three quarters, 13 years of boarding school. Every single vacation, rejection, abandonment. I wept into my pillow, sobbing uncontrollably for, day, for nights upon nights upon nights. And I'm not the only one in this room that's experienced that kind of rejection. You guys, each one of you have experienced the same kind of rejection. It might not have been going to boarding school, but it was in some other form. And it was as meaningful to you as it was to me. It was as deeply painful to you as it was to me. But the question is, what are we going to do with that? 
What are we going to do with it? And I, you know, lying there in my bed when I was a little kid, it was easy for me to believe the lies of the evil one. The great orphan himself, maybe it wasn't Satan, he's probably somewhere else, you know, with some other far more important individual, but definitely spirits of rejection and abandonment. These things are big Goliaths, everybody. And when we believe their lies, those giants come and they take up residence on the inside of us. And we will never slay giants that are on the outside of us in families, giants that our families might face, or giants at work, or giants in the shopping mall, or giants in government, or giants in our cities, the giants of poverty, the giants of racism, all of the giants of social economic uh, dysfunction. We'll never ever be able to conquer those giants if we don't learn to slay the giants that we've allowed to grow on the inside of us. And we're in a season right now as a church where God's calling us because he's saying, I want to come in ever increasing measure. And the prophets have been telling us, purity, 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 purity. Get ready for the next level of God's presence. And very often we immediately go to, okay, sexual purity. And yes, that's absolutely a must. But let me tell you something. There are much deeper things that affect our purity that are fundamental. The kind of giants that feed sexual immorality that have to do with rejection, abandonment, not belonging, not wanted, shame, fear, control. And every one of us in this room We've had to deal with those giants, those giants on the inside. But when you face those giants on the inside like David did, it qualifies you to slay them on the outside of you. And God's looking for you. He's looking for you. You might be thinking like David was probably thinking in his moments of dysfunction. Oh my gosh, my life amounts to nothing. I'm not like the seven other older brothers. I'm just here tending a few sheep. My brothers are warriors. They're fighting in Saul's army. And here I am, just a few small sheep. But there was something about the way David went about loving those sheep. And God's looking for you to walk in his love and love his sheep, including you. Because you're one of his little lambs. And as we take care of his sheep, we don't realize it, but we're qualifying ourselves in the eyes of the eternal one, the alpha and the omega, the maker of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the covenantal God who's looking for a people that will just say yes to him, that won't look at their outside circumstances, won't allow any human being to be the def definition of what their life amounts to, but put their trust in God and deal with their stuff and slay their internal giants. I want to show you what that looks like, what it could have looked like. Imagine, Samuel says, we are not going to start until the youngest is brought here. So it says that he was sent for. Well, who was sent for? I mean, sorry, who was sent to get him? Not a donkey. It wasn't a sheepdog. It was a human being. And I realized this morning that God's calling us 
as an entire body to be like that servant that would tenaciously go up the up out, up and out into the fields and go find his Davids that are out there in the world that are yet to be saved, but who he's chosen. And you might not get named. That servant doesn't get named. It's not, it's not a name, grand name like Eliab, you know, God's my father. The servant isn't even named. But he faithfully goes and does what God commanded him to do. Let's be faithful church to go and get the Davids. They're out there. But nevertheless, let's bring it back to you right now. I'm comparing you with David. So the servant arrives. David, sorry, David, Samuel. He's at the house. He's at your dad's house. And he's calling for sacrifices. He's, he's consecrated all your brothers and, and your dad. And, 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 and all seven of them passed by. But, but not one of them was chosen. And your dad, he turned and said, dad, uh, Sir, are there any others, Jesse? And he said, he said Oh, yes, I remember. There's, there's David. And Samuel said, we will not go any further until he's here. Go get him. And dad says, your dad, Jesse, says, you're to come with me and we're to go into the party. And David could have said, oh, yeah? This is the last straw. My whole life I've been rejected. After all, he wrote Psalm 27, verse 10. Though my mother and father forsake me, yet you, O oh Lord, are always with me. And there was something about the way David postured his heart. There was something about the way he looked after those sheep. There was something about the way that he discovered that the God who created him, the covenant God of Israel, Isaac, of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was his God, and that he had chosen him, and that he did not define him as a servant and as a rejected, dysfunctional, abandoned kid. But God looked at him and says, you are the beloved of the Lord. And there was something about the way David allowed that to sink in. Something about the way David used the opportunity of all the pain that was done to him, all that rejection done to him, to stir within him forgiveness. To walk with the heart of God, his father. A heart of forgiveness. A heart that overcame through forgiveness by giving mercy all of the pain that was done to him. And instead of turning around and saying, are you kidding me? You get back down there and tell my dad, screw you! No, I'm not coming to the party. I don't care who's arrived. No. You get down there and you tell my dysfunctional father, that he has no eighth son anymore. This is the final straw. I'm not coming. And do you know something, everybody? There wouldn't be a single one of us in this room nor any human being that's ever lived that couldn't identify with that kind of temptation of a reaction. When we're hurt and rejected as badly as he was, that is one of the first things that bubbles up. We use our pain as a perfect excuse to justify all our bad behavior. But we got to slay the giants of all our excuses. 
we got to come before God and say, God, I don't understand it. God, what was done to me has devastated me. God, they don't deserve my forgiveness, but God, I choose to forgive. And he had chosen to forgive. He dealt with it all. I, I can just picture him. You know why he was able to kill Goliath with a single stone straight into his forehead? Because he had developed the muscles, memory, with his sling. Over and 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 over again. Because he took the pain, the dysfunction and the pain and the loneliness and he turned it around into an extraordinary opportunity for an encounter with the living God and to develop a love affair, friendship out of the fear of the Lord because he understood there is a God who's bigger and better than even my own parents. And here we have him writing in Psalm 25 verse 14 that the, that the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. That the secret of God is with those who fear him. He was a man who shared secrets with God as a 15-year-old on a hillside looking after his dad's sheep. And he turned around when he was in front of the king a few weeks later and he said, When a lion or a bear came to take my dad's sheep, I chased it away. And if it took one of the lambs, I ran after it and I rescued the lamb out of its mouth and killed the lion and the bear with my bare hands. The God who's delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hands of this uncircumcised, uncovenantal, outside of the covenant of the living, loving God. He will deliver him into my hands. Yes, sir. Ready for service. He was pretty fierce. I bet in his moments of really bad dysfunction, he probably put some target there and put the name of each one of his brothers on that. That's just a joke, everybody. The point is, everyone, he didn't let any of that past pain ever be his excuse to justify his bad behavior. He put it to one side and he came with the servant and he arrived and he stood there. And in front of all of his brothers that had rejected him, God anointed him through the prophet Samuel as king over the entire nation of Israel. In a moment. You see, you, us, I'm sure there are moments that you're suffering in. But the deeper the suffering, the closer you are to the moment of your complete and total release and freedom. And not only that, but God who says, if you're faithful with little, you will be given much. That God is an absolute master at, at crafting your destiny. So that at the exact moment when you fully yielded, when you fully forgiven, just like Joseph, which I'm sure will come on to this year, at the exact moment of full release, boom, he sets us free into the fullness of our destiny. Brings us out of the cave of self-pity brings us out of the dungeon and into the palace to rule and reign with him. Amen. Let's stand, everybody. I want you to know that my heart as a childhood, and my, my heart as a child, my childhood 
was painful for me. There were some really amazing moments. In fact, there were some moments where I was grateful to my parents for sending me. I've always been grateful to my parents for sending me to the best school they could afford to send me to. I'm so thankful that I wasn't educated with a blackboard under a tree somewhere in, in Africa. But God allowed my parents to find a school for me to go to where I could be educated And I'm blessed for that and so grateful to them. But the reality is, is that their sacrifice for God was deeply costly both for them and for me and my two brothers. It cost so much. And we experienced tremendous rejection and abandonment. And we believed those lies that we're nothing and a nobody. And we tried to overcome them by becoming the best sportsman or the best musician or the best whatever to try to numb the pain that deep down on the inside, we thought, the truth is, I suck really, really bad. I'm a nothing and a nobody. I'm not like everybody else here. They're really nice. But me, I'm wrong. I'm broken. I can't be fixed. But I thank God that when I was 20 years old, in the midst of all that rebellion, hatred, dysfunction, and believing all those lies, I thank God that he came and found me. He came and he found me in the cave of self-pity and he led me out and he led me into the light. And of all the things that he had for me, little abandoned orphan, 18 years of over and over and over and over again, every vacation, at the end of every vacation, God saw fit to make me one day the leader of a global revival known for the Father's love. (laughs) Boom! Because he's the God of redemption. He's the God of reconciliation. He's the God who promises to work everything out together for our good, everybody. For his good and our good. And my parents, 20 years they gave their lives together with many missionaries. Now the church in Nigeria has literally millions of members. Millions of members. And all of my parents, kids, me and my brothers, we have one brother in heaven. It was that costly. And here we are now, we love God. We're serving the Lord with all of our hearts in his love. And we've married well, right, Ash? We married way up, all three of us. And we have amazing kids that love God like crazy, every one of them. And we have grandchildren now. My parents have great-grandchildren. Because it's not about your past or what's been done to you. It's about your willingness to get a hold of God in the midst of that and realize that he's got a higher purpose than any pain that was ever done to you. Never, ever allow pain to become your name, your identity. And if you're here this morning like me, whether you're watching online and you just know, I don't want to miss my moment of coronation an anointing as a true king. I'm coming out now. I'm going to leave behind my pain and self-pity. I'm going to leave behind the licking of my wounds. I'm going to leave behind the blame, the name and blame game. I just want to rule with Jesus and rule well. I want him to put inside of me a heart after his own heart. And I just want to invite you down to the front. Just come on down. All all y'all come on down. 
and just meet with God in a fresh way in a, in a, and let him just crash in on you and take you out of that false identity of devastation and bring you into a true identity of your heavenly father. And for some of you, it's very painful because what was done to you was really terrible. But to the depth of your pain is the height of others gain through your testimony, through your story, through what God will do right up here at the front, what God will do in your heart as you let go of your right to hold on to those things and you just let go and let God. And like David, you'll position yourself as someone to take care of your dad's sheep, your heavenly daddy's sheep. And when you take care of your heavenly daddy's sheep really, really well, you slay the giants on the inside. You're positioning yourself for a life of ruling and reigning with him in your world, in your workplace, in your family.